Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at uh, Central Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. Also want to welcome our online viewers as well. Uh, we are in a sermon series on the temptations of Jesus as we are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, sometimes we view the temptation of Jesus as an unfortunate event. Poor Jesus somehow wanders into the desert, uh, could not find anything to eat for 40 days, uh, accidentally stumbles into the devil who pounces on this opportunity to tempt him. No, that is not just not the right lens to look at this story. The temptation of Jesus was a result of divine appointment. God was in full charge of this whole episode. The temptation narrative confirms the fact that Jesus is the Son of God who has come to destroy the works of the enemy. As I told you earlier in the series, every temptation is also a test. God's intent is to strengthen you and help you grow deeper in your faith through this experience. This is something I find to be true and consistent in the Bible, in my own life, as well as the lives of other Christians. Spiritual highs are followed by spiritual lows. The mountaintop experiences are succeeded by a walk in the valley. A spiritual highs are those moments when you experience God in a deeper way. You receive an answer to prayer. See someone come to faith in Christ. Witness a miracle. And as a result, there is a vibrancy in your Christian walk. Then often those moments are followed by spiritual lows, testing and temptation, disappointments, grief, exhaustion. Jesus at his baptism is affirmed as the Son of God. The voice of the Father confirms his identity. And Jesus is all set to inaugurate his public ministry. And in the very next moment, the Spirit led Jesus to be tempted in the wilderness, to face spiritual warfare of the highest magnitude. In our own lives, spiritual lows are not necessarily a sign that God has somehow abandoned us. It may be the very experience he would actually use to deepen us, to empower us for what he's going to do in the next season of our life. The three temptations of Jesus serve as a summary of all the temptations we face in life. Now granted, there are a myriad of temptations in life, and they all look so different, but at its root, you can trace them to one of the three temptations of Jesus. The first temptation to turn stones into bread had to do with appetites. Will Jesus use his power for his own selfish ends? The second temptation to jump from the pinnacle of the temple has to do with approval. Will Jesus deviate from God's plan for his life in order to win the approval of others? 
The third temptation that we will be looking at today focuses on ambition. Will Jesus take a shortcut to accomplish the end goal? Will his ambition be centered on himself or on God? In a world that we live in today, the philosophy seems to be, have it all and have it now. We can see how ambitions can be warped, how our quest to be on the top can easily turn into a temptation that can wreck your life. If our ambitions are not shaped by God and surrendered to God, then they can clearly lead us astray. I'm going to ask us uh, to stand as we read our text from uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. Let's read this together. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Lord, we recognize that there is an enemy in our midst. An enemy with his forces of darkness, whose one intention is to derail us from the path that you've called us to walk. We know and we are aware of the temptations that are surrounding us in our life. So would you use this time to strengthen our hearts, our commitment and devotion to you, and teach us, Lord, how to live in victory. Pray that you would use this truth to shape our life and help us to apply these truths that they will become a rock-solid foundation on which we can build our life. So we give this time to you. Come and minister to us in the power of your Spirit. For we ask this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Ryan KG is eight years old. He had an income of $26 million just this last year. And if you're wondering how on earth an eight-year-old can make so much money, welcome to our 21st century. Ryan is called the highest earner on YouTube for the second consecutive year. He started off by doing uh, video reviews of toys and now has over 20 million subscribers. One of his popular videos has over 1.9 billion hits. And this kid is a sensation, an icon. He has his own uh, product lines with over 1,000 products from toys to toothpaste. Walk into Walmart and you will see them. Don't you want to just adopt this guy? A CEO of an uh, entertainment company explains the reason behind Ryan's success. He says, YouTube is the most popular babysitter in the world today. Therefore, it is no surprise that the stars on the top of the YouTube list are actually kids 
who are celebrities. And when I was a little boy, a question people would often ask us was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you will often hear answers like, I want to be a doctor, a scientist, a teacher, an astronaut, a police officer. Today, ask the same questions to kids in our generation, and you will be surprised by the answers that you hear. Christian author Jared Wilson puts it this way. Today, the answers seem to be dominated by the likes of rap or pop star, athlete, actor, or most confounding of all, YouTube star. He goes on to say, listen to me, uh, to be clear, I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with any of these professions, but the fact that these have become the most popular childhood aspirations tell us something about the culture our kids are growing up in. Now reflect on that for a moment. These are profound words. Who are our role models for our society today? Who do we aspire to be like? Who shapes our ambitions? And what does success look like in the 21st century? Life today is portrayed as a do-it-yourself project. People envision success is reaching the top by finding the shortest means to get them there. A philosophy that is dominant in our world today is have it all and have it now. Now, the third temptation offered Jesus a place at the very top all in an instant. Jesus, you can have it all and you can have it now. now. Let's examine our text to see what this temptation meant for Jesus and then we will draw some application for us and our society today. If you notice the first two temptations... They were very subtle. At first glance, neither turning stones into bread or jumping off the top of the temple appeared to be sinful. But they were subtle temptations intended to lead Jesus from the path God had called him to walk. Now in the third temptation, Satan lays aside the discreet approach. For this one is a brazen, straightforward offer that shows the heart of the enemy. Satan expresses what he really wants from Jesus and from all of us. Worship. Your allegiance. I want to read to you a parallel account from Luke's gospel to show you how Luke presents the same temptation. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. <coughs> Picture this in your mind. The devil takes Jesus to a high place and shows an aerial view of all the kingdoms and the splendor of this world. Now, this must have been a vision because there isn't a mountain so high from where you can actually see all the kingdoms of this world. But it's fascinating what Satan is saying here. 
I have authority over all the kingdoms of the world, and I can give it to whoever I want to. Wow, what a statement. The devil has the ability to give wealth, power, fame, prosperity to anyone who complies with his plan. Now, is that really possible? Now, notice Jesus doesn't argue with the enemy here or refute his claim. So I think it is true. Satan is not lying or exaggerating here. In the Gospel of John, interestingly, Jesus calls the devil ruler of the world three different times. Think about that title, ruler of the world. That's an impressive title that shows dominion and power. And the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Yet another title. Satan is called the God of this worldly realm. He stakes claim over this fallen world. He has access to the wealth, power, and the splendor of this world. While God is sovereign over all, including Satan, he has allowed Satan to rule here on earth for the time being. And as a result, Satan is well able to temporarily reward those who serve him. And this is the temptation that the devil presented to Jesus. Jesus, you claim to be God's beloved son. But what has God done for you? You're 30 years old and you have nothing. You're hungry and you don't have anything to eat. You're alone and you don't have any company. You're anonymous, uncelebrated. The world has not given you your due. And guess what, Jesus? As you start your ministry, the next three years will be even more painful. People will hate you. You will have no place to even lay your head. Your own family will mock you, and the religious leaders will say all kinds of evil things about you. Your personal disciples, Jesus, in whom you invest in, will deny you, will betray you. And Jesus, you will be nailed to a cross, stripped naked, spat on your face, scourged and whipped. You will die the worst possible death like a criminal. That's what God has for you, Jesus. Is it really worth submitting to God's plan? Jesus, I have a glamorous plan for your life. Here's the deal. It doesn't involve rejection. doesn't involve poverty. No cross, no pain, no sacrifice, no blood. And what God has promised you, I'll give you free of cost on a silver platter instantly. Look at that text, verses 8 and 9 of Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. On the outside, this may look like an inviting offer, but clearly this was a trap. There was a catch behind that offer. I'll give you everything 
just bow down and worship me. Forget God for one moment and transfer your allegiance over to me and I will fulfill your ambitions. Now this temptation shows the devil in his true colors. Satan is hungry for worship. His one purpose is to transfer over to himself the worship that truly belongs to God alone. Now here's something we need to know. God had a purpose in sending Jesus and it was to dethrone Satan as the God of this world. When God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, he gave them authority over his creation. So they were to be God's ambassadors, representative rulers over all of God's creation. But when Adam and Eve fell into sin, as a result of the fall, they forfeited the dominion to Satan. So Satan deceived them into surrendering their God-given rulership and authority. And that is how Satan becomes the ruler of the earth. It is a consequence of the fall. Now God sends Jesus as a man in order to restore that domain, the authority, the rulership back to humans. Now, I want to show to you from the Bible what was the messianic destiny set out by God. This was God's plan for Jesus. Hear these words of prophecy from the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 2 verse 8. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance the ends of the earth, your possession. Now this is a messianic psalm that clearly shows that the inheritance of the nations belonged to Jesus. Now here's yet another prophecy from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Once again, this is a messianic promise. This is Jesus' destiny as envisioned by God. But God has also determined the path through which Jesus will reach this destiny. It was through the cross, through sacrifice, through suffering. There was a cost attached to it. There were absolutely no shortcuts. The nations would be redeemed and become Christ's possession by the shedding of his blood. There was no other way. Jesus would inherit all of God's promises, but by walking through the Calvary road. But what Satan was offering here was a shortcut, this tantalizing option of a crown without a cross, the inheritance of the nations without the shedding of blood. He was giving Jesus lordship without having to suffer and die. And you will notice this throughout the Gospels. 
that the temptation to bypass the cross repeatedly came to Jesus. When Jesus spoke to his disciples about his crucifixion, Peter immediately took him aside and said, surely this will not happen to you, Lord. And at that very moment, Jesus recognizes the voice of Satan, and he says to Peter in Matthew 16, 23, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. The same temptation surfaces once again in the Garden of Gethsemane, just the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And even when Jesus was nailed to the cross, the thieves on both sides and the jeering crowd yelled, come down from the cross. If you are the Son of God, show yourself to be powerful. Demonstrate your strength. If you are the Son of God. If you recognize those words, those are the very words Satan uses in the first two temptations. So Satan repeatedly tempted Jesus to keep him from going to the cross. However, Jesus was a man on a mission. He was determined and steadfast, not allowing anything to influence his thinking. His ambitions were yielded to God. He submitted to God's plans and refused to compromise. And what was the end result? The greatest, the most powerful and decisive act of victory over Satan took place at the cross. For through his death and resurrection, Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. He defeated the enemy comprehensively and took all authority back from him. And what that means is, Satan has no authority over your life. The devil doesn't hold the upper hand over you. And unless you willingly choose to sin, Satan cannot make any of us sin. So some of us need to stop blaming the devil for the sin pattern in our life and activate our God-given authority. Now you come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And what does it say? Hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. This is profound. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus saying here? His mission has been accomplished. He has followed the path of God refused to buy into the enemy's deceptions, refrained from taking a shortcut. And what God offered Jesus was far better than what the devil had to offer. And Jesus says here, I am now Lord over heaven and earth, not Satan. There is no authority greater than mine. So Jesus emphatically declares here, so go in my name because all authority has been given to me and now go and accomplish my redemptive mandate. Jesus is our victorious savior and if you belong to Jesus, yours is the victory. I want us to see how Jesus 
responded to Satan's offer to worship him. Verse 10. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus uses a firm rebuke. Away from me, Satan. Be gone, Satan. These words are forceful and commanding. Jesus is angry at the prospect of Satan soliciting worship. And once again, Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Did you notice? Worship and service always go together. Who you worship, you will also serve. The temptation for Israel in the wilderness was to forget God in the midst of all their accomplishments. Just as God had promised, they will approve the Canaanite nations. They will settle in a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. They will become the head and not the tail. They will be prosperous. The economy will boom. They will have all the success, all the blessings as per God's promise. And God was saying to them, in the midst of your ambition to establish yourself as a nation, don't forget who blessed you. Don't make your ambition to be at the top more important than me. So it is in this context, Moses says in Deuteronomy 6, you will worship God and serve him only. Don't worship the blessings or the success or the Canaanite idols because God doesn't tolerate divided loyalties. So Jesus takes this text in Deuteronomy, the incident that happened in the wilderness. Now he applies it to his own context and uses those same words in the Bible to dismiss Satan. And our text tells us in Matthew that the devil left him. He had no other choice. Every attempt of Satan was diffused and he's clearly shown the door. That is the third temptation of Jesus. How does this apply to us today? Now we can apply this in so many different ways, but I want to take it in one direction, in the area of our ambitions. Just as the enemy gave Jesus a vision of this high mountain from where he could see all the kingdoms of the world and offered it all in an instant, in the same way, he gives us a similar vision for our life. And this vision is embedded in the philosophy of our age. You hear this being reinforced over and over in so many different ways. Call this the gospel according to Satan. This is what it looks like. Life is what you make it, so make it a good one. How many people you and I know make this as their life's motto, their ambition to live this good life? Now, underneath that is the temptation Whatever you want, you can have it all, and you can have it now. Find the shortest path to your personal fulfillment. 
Leave aside your convictions, your religious beliefs, your upbringing, your values. All you have is one life. So satisfy yourself. Let your ambitions be centered around you. Satan wants you to invest your life in things that don't matter in light of eternity. And when you buy into this lie, knowingly or unknowingly, you're pledging your allegiance to Satan. Talk about making a pact with the devil. The truth is, occultism is on the increase today. And you hear so many people being drawn into it. I read that one of the most popular talked about series on Netflix the last couple of years is the chilling adventures of Sabrina. The lead character Sabrina is a half witch and a half mortal who's about to celebrate her 16th birthday. And on that day, which is not coincidentally October 31st, she's expected to undergo what the show calls a dark baptism in which she would pledge loyalty to Satan. And this series is very popular among our teenagers. Almost ironically, a magazine article on this TV series writes about this this way. Uh, the chilling adventures of Sabrina is fun, silly, and as ever, gorgeous to look at. If you're looking for a trip to hell, Sabrina is the one to take you there. At least they got that part right. Now here's something we need to know. It is not just through some crazy ritual that we sign a pact with the devil. We do so when we buy into the enemy's lies and allow these to shape our ambition, influence how we live our day-to-day -day life. This is the most common way people worship the devil. Satan worshipers are not just the occultists who are into strange practices, but many of them are sophisticated people who have unknowingly pledged their allegiance to Satan by chasing after wrong dreams. Let me show you practically of how this can play out in our world today. One of the strongest and most alluring offers is the temptation for illicit sexual pleasures. Satan takes you to the top of the mountain and shows you how good this proposition looks like. And the devil says, be queen for a day, king for a day. I'll give it to you. You can have it all. You can have it now. Just lay your convictions aside for a moment, just a moment. Moreover, the way your spouse has been treating you, you deserve a lot more. And I tell you, that is the recipe that leads to so many affairs today. How many marriages have been wrecked because someone bought into this lie saying, I deserve more, I want to feel like queen or king, and ended up being unfaithful to their spouse. If there's anybody here who's contemplating something like this, even just entertaining a thought in that direction, I 
plead with you today. Don't go there. The path that seems so enticing and glamorous right now will lead you into deep regrets and unimaginable pain. It's simply not worth it. Let me give you another example. Some of us are driven people. And this is where ambitions come into the forefront. Ambition in itself is a neutral word. There's nothing wrong in ambition per se, provided it is channeled in the right direction. But when ambition or drive becomes selfish, then it turns into a tool in the hands of the enemy. How many people, because of this quest to be on the top or make more money or get that promotion, have made life revolve around their career? And as a result, you have no time for God. Your family life is a mess. It's impossible to use your spiritual gifts and volunteer in the church. You may excel in your career. You will make it to the top. You will get the kingdoms of the world as per Satan's promise. But your life will carry no lasting influence in light of eternity. As someone said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have ambition, but I'm specifically targeting this selfish, self-centered ambition, this drive to be at the top, chasing after our dreams and taking any path that would get us there. That places the individual at the center insert of God. It is nothing but turning ourselves into an idol and be the object of our own worship. You hear words like self-actualization, self-assertion, self-fulfillment, self-approval. Go to any bookstore in North America. The biggest section is the self-help section. The solution to all of life's problems is you. All the keys, all the answers lies inside of you. And that's how we deify ourselves. We get deluded into thinking that ambition is all about personal happiness. And we buy into this gospel according to Satan and pledge our allegiance to this world and to the devil. Now hear me. Jesus was ambitious. But it was not a selfish ambition that was the driving force of Jesus' life. But Jesus had one ambition. It was to do the will of the Father. It was a cross-shaped ambition. A passionate zeal to fulfill all of God's plans for his life. That's the kind of ambition we need today. A passion and a zeal to accomplish all of God's purposes, all of God's plans for your life. We become ambitious for the spread of God's kingdom and for the evangelism of the world. And what that means is some of us, some of us here, have to surrender your personal ambitions, hopes, and plans over to God. 
and ask God to replace them with his ambitions, his plans, his hopes, his dreams for your life. Let me close with this. Bill McCartney, who founded the men's ministry, Promise Keepers, talks about what prompted him to transition from being a successful football coach to pioneer a Christian ministry devoted to helping men spiritually thrive. This is what Bill says. When I took the job as head football coach at the University of Colorado in 1982, I made a solemn promise. I told everybody that with me, God was first, family second, and football third. Bill goes on to say, but I did not keep that promise for long. The thrill and the challenge of resurrecting a football program in disarray simply took too much time and attention. As my teams kept winning year after year, I kept losing focus on my priorities. Bill recollects when we won the national championship in 1990, many people said I had reached the pinnacle of my profession. But for me, there was an emptiness about it. I had everything a man could ever dream of. And yet, clearly, something was missing. I was so busy pursuing my career goals that I was missing out on the spirit-filled life that God wanted me to have. And he concludes by saying, all because I had broken my promise to put God first in my life. What about you? Have you broken the promise to put God first and foremost in your life? I tell you, this is a familiar trajectory for so many Christians who start off with noble intentions, but somewhere down the line, they start that compromise. Their priorities all get messed up, and they settle for something far less than what God has in store for them. Behind every temptation is a question. Who do you worship? Who do you put first in your life? Worship is the demonstration of a person's allegiance, what we are sold out to, who rules our life. Everybody worships something. Whether you believe in God or not doesn't matter. Everybody worships something. But for us as Christians, our worship is directed at God alone. For it should always be God first. Anything else, anything else that competes that place for God in your life, whether it is the drive for success, the quest for happiness, or your own selfish ambitions, they all need to bow down to this one great, all-encompassing, passionate love for Jesus. (laughs) 
You know, we talked about giving practical tools in this series to help you battle temptation in your life. So we're going to close with this. A practical tool that serves as an antidote to temptation is praise and worship. When we praise and worship God from our heart, we are making a statement, a declaration that we will not bow our knees to any gods of this world, but our knees will be bent to the living God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we praise God out loud, it reminds Satan who we really belong to, who we live for and serve. Would you join me in closing prayer? Lord, we sense your awesome, awesome presence in this place. And we bow down to you because that is the rightful posture. A posture of humility and dependence. And we also make a declaration in this place that we will bow down to Jesus alone that we will serve and worship Jesus alone. And we surrender all of our self-centered ambitions, the plans that we have for our life at the foot of the cross. And we pray, oh God, that you would replace them with your dreams, your plans, your purposes for us. I pray that you will raise up from our church, a generation of people who live to do the will of the Father, that every other desire will be removed from us, especially the desire for prominence and success to drive and be in charge of our own life. Lord, we yield to you our rights. Do with us what you want. This life fully belongs to you, Jesus. Take us in the path that you have for us, that our life will have maximum impact for your kingdom, for the name of Jesus to be exalted in our city, in our nation. So accept our act of worship today as we consecrate our lives to you. Empower us with your spirit. Give us the resolve to persevere in our walk with you to be not led astray by the world and its ways, but our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Well, if you have a prayer concern, I want to encourage you to come forward and meet with someone in our prayer team. God bless you.